If you are able, would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's Word? Today we will be reading out of Hebrews um, chapter 12, verses 18 through 29. This section is titled, A Kingdom That Cannot Be Shaken. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for it if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom then that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Would you pray with me? Oh, holy God, you are a consuming fire. Lord, you have a better word for us this morning. In this moment, God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you tune our hearts to sing thy praise. That you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see and hear and receive your word. As Brian prayed, I just add my faith to his prayer. May you feed us, God. So we just trust you. We declare just declare our trust in you as, as Lord and Savior. We declare our trust as citizens of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that you would have a word for us this morning. I pray, Lord, you would prepare our hearts to receive that and that you would speak. Quiet our hearts. May your words be proclaimed. I ask, Lord, that you would guard my mouth against anything that is not from you. May you speak. May I just be able to be an instrument 
your mercy. We love you. We praise you. We are so grateful. Great is thy faithfulness. We pray this together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen. This morning, speaking about this understanding and this idea, this principle, we've been looking at the book of Hebrews about how Jesus is better, and today we're talking about how Jesus is a better word. And my question for you as we think about that is this, what words do you live by? What words do you live by? You know, there's a trend, I think, in this day and age to have, I feel like most houses that I walk in, if you walk in, you're going to see word art. Um, maybe it's the rules of our house, or a Bible verse, or some text from different places, um, or there's some famous words. I wanted to share with you a few of my favorites. One would be, um, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Great words to live by from Friday Night Lights. My football fans here. Okay, we'll try another one here. How about the great theologian, Dr. Seuss? He said this, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. Okay? Nothing yet? Okay, how about uh, Aubrey Hepburn? All right, how about this? Uh, Nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. Like that? All right, fine. I'll give you one more from the great theologian Michael Jordan. He said this, some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. Do we have any make it happen kind of people here? Yeah? Well, this morning I am looking at at, with you a better word than all of these cute little sayings. This morning, we are going to be reminded from the author of Hebrews, the better word, or I think I could say, the best word. The word that we as Christians, that all who put their faith in Jesus live by. The better word. It is such a good word for you and I this morning. So I just want to encourage you, if you have your sermon notes, to get them out Get a pen, be ready to fill those in, get on the edge of your seat. There is so much to this text, and I don't want you to miss a bit. And as we look at this, it seems to be here in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is finishing up, and many commentators would say, this isn't actually even a letter, it's probably a sermon, You would notice in this letter, in this book of Hebrews, that that there's not a lot of greetings and salutations. It's like he is delivering a sermon to the church, a sermon about endurance, a sermon about striving, a sermon about holding fast to our confession, a sermon to a church that is anxious, to a church that is under persecution, a church that is unsure about their future. And here, there's almost this climax, this this culmination of these better statements by speaking about a better word. And so in this passage, as I've been studying this, it seems to me that there's four really words here. The first that we see here is a solemn word. And here's the solemn word. As you are, friend, you can't handle God. 
As you are, you can't handle God. Here's what the author is saying. He says this. Verse 18. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. Here he's talking about a story from Exodus when the people of God, after, going, after being delivered from Egypt, they're at Mount Sinai, and it seems to be in Scripture, whenever there's a mountain, there is an experience with God. A very real and physical experience with God. And the people of God show up to Mount Sinai, and it says that God, in all of his glory, in all of his power, in all of his holiness, set apart, different, perfect, righteous, judge, shows up here, and we get words such as a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, and a tempest. I mean, this is a scary moment. And we have seen this throughout the Old Testament. When Isaiah encounters God, it says that he falls flat on his face. He is afraid for his own life. He thinks he is about to die because of how mighty and great and awesome God is. He goes on to describe this moment. He says, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. In this passage, the people of God, are, are, are the Israel is saying, we can't handle God. He's too great. He's too mighty. We can't be in his presence. It says, for they could not endure the order that was given, the word that was given, the message or the law that was given. If even, the next verse here says, if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. They recognize that anything that even touched this presence of God They didn't even want to touch that by association. Indeed, it says, so terrifying was the the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. In this story, I'd encourage you to go back in your own study time and read through this. See the people call Moses to be their advocate, to speak on their behalf, because they are terrified, and they recognize that they can't handle God on their own. And the point here is that they are so fallen, God is so perfect. They recognize their own depravity. They recognize their own inability to be perfect and righteous. And this is a solemn word. Have you ever had a moment, a solemn moment, or maybe a sobering moment when you realize something about yourself? I had a moment actually right up here on stage a while back. I... thought, you know what, at the end of a sermon, I was going to break out in song. And so I started singing, then sings my soul, and I started singing in a very high key. And I didn't realize that the key gets higher as you sing. And it was uh, at the end of me singing, I quickly realized, I'm probably not going to be America's next top model, America's next idol, American idol, or top model for that I'm probably, I I, I realize I am not a great singer, even though I thought I was. 
And maybe you've had some moments like that when you've had a sobering moment about yourself. And it seems to me, the author of Hebrews and God himself wants you to know that on your own, this is the message of how great and mighty our God is, we can't handle God. Because he's holy. Because he's set apart. Because he's great and mighty and perfect. And in the presence of God, hear this, you are shaken. You are shaken. It shakes everything, and it's distant. It has to be distant in this story. But that's the word. That's the law. That is what we are wrecked by. It wrecks us. Yet, church, there's a better. We don't leave with just this solemn word. We know this is truth, but there's also a better word. And this is the better word. In Christ, hear this. This is so profound and so unreasonable. You party with God. You party, you celebrate with the holy God. How, Logan? Okay. How does that happen? I believe in a God that doesn't change. How, if, 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 if the God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament, how does this work? How does this work? Notice here what the author is saying here. Look at the language here. He says, verse 18, you have not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to that experience, but, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. All three of these are references to God's promised city for his people. The better country we spoke about last week. Glory. Yet he says, he doesn't say you will come, hear this. He says you have come. So there's something that we experience on earth as it is in heaven right now in this moment. You have come. But what's this moment like? It says to, now here's the part where I, where I think it's, it's not wrong to say that we've come to a party. Look at this. It says, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. Festal gathering there. The word there is in Greek like a wild party, a celebration. And I think sometimes, church, when we think about God and we think about his characteristics, we do say he is so mighty, he is so holy, he is so wonderful, and we get all of these wonderful statements about how awesome and mighty he is, but we also forget the fact that God created us in his image grateful, thankful, full of joy. These are also the characters, characteristics of God. And in his presence, there's a festal gathering, an enjoyment of his very presence. And so coming back to the Garden of Eden, walking with God in his presence and with the angels. Who else is there? It says, and to the assembly, the gathering of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Enrolled in heaven. We see Jesus talk about this in his prayer about having your name written in the book of life. This are our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the saints of God. Those that have gone before us. And notice here, it doesn't say 
the lineage, it says the sons. You see, in the kingdom of God, in God's family, there are no grandchildren. Everyone is adopted as a child, a son, as an heir. So we see here, it's talking about firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. This is all of the church. We use the language Catholic church. Catholic, the church in all times, in all places, gathering together as a part of this celebration. This is quite the party. This is quite the, the, the experience. And not only that, to God, the, now how does, he, how does he define God? The judge of all. We haven't, we, we haven't forgotten that God is holy, that God is mighty, that God is perfect. Now, maybe we're starting to feel a little bit of a tension here. How does this work? If God doesn't change, if God is still the same God on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai, how in the world, Pastor Logan, are we able to celebrate and to come in to this experience to party with God on earth as it is in heaven? Who else is there? And to Jesus. The mediator. Remember the great high priest, the better priest, the better sacrifice, the better way. The mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We're going to see as we move in here, as we talk about here, as we talk about this passage here, that this is a kingdom that cannot be shaken and everything else will be shaken. And the question for us that we ask ourselves is how? And I would encourage you to remember another mountain. Yes, there's Mount Sinai in this text. Yes, there's Mount Zion in this text that we look forward to. But there's another mountain that we put all of our hope in, and that is the mount that Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, walked up holding a cross. It is the mountain where he was crucified for our sins. And thinking about this, look at what happens to Christ on that mountain. It says, and behold... The curtain of the temple, right after he cried out that it is finished, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. Do you see the earthquake? Do you see the shaking? That is the wrath of God. That is the holiness of God being poured out on his son, he who be, who. who he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become children. Do you see the gospel? Do you see the better word crying out? Do you see why the author here is saying it's actually a better word than the blood of Abel that is crying out? What is he talking about here? He's referring back to Abel. In the story of Abel, Abel is killed by his brother Cain. Do you remember this story? And in the Genesis account, it tells us that the blood of Abel was crying out. 
crying out for vindication, crying out for for justice, crying out to the judge to make all things right, crying out to Christ himself to do something about this. And then Christ sheds his perfect, righteous blood on our behalf. This is so huge. This is why F.F. Bruce says this about this statement. He says, Abel's blood cried out to God from the ground, protesting against his murder and appealing for vindication. But the blood of Christ brings a message of cleansing, forgiveness, and peace with God. Holy God, to all who place their faith That's the better word that's crying out to you this morning. That's the better word, the best word for you and I to recognize Christ's blood cries out for your righteousness and your cleansing. This is the gospel. But church, as we think about that better word, hear this, there's also a grave word. I use the word grave here for one, meaning it's serious, it's final, and I would like you to think about someday you will have a grave. We will die unless Christ returns. Lord Jesus, please come. And there's a grave word as you think about that grave. There's a grave word that sometimes we get a little uncomfortable talking about, but God's word does not get uncomfortable talking about it. And the grave word is this. If you refuse Christ, if you refuse the word that is crying out for the forgiveness of your sins, for a gift to you, you hear this, will be shaken. You will be shaken. Look at what it says here. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him, this is Jesus, the better word, who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, thinking back to Sinai and the warnings to the people, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? If he's better, the warning is better. If he's greater, the warning is greater. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. In other words, there's no escape. In other words, there are two responses to the word. There's not a third. There's receiving the word, and there's refusing the word. Those two responses are everything for you. This is huge. When he talks about, the author says, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and he says you will be shaking, he is referencing eternal damnation. He is referencing, reminding us together that we do have a just God. God saves us from our sin, from 
our iniquities, the, the sin that we have done against him. And that is not a judgment against God. It's a judgment against ourselves. Do you see this? And this is huge. I've heard this question said, are you saved? I remember uh, there's a a quote from the the late R.C. Sproul. We were talking about this in our teaching team. Said that he was walking from a a lecture one day and someone came up to him and asked, are you saved? And R.C. Sproul said, responded, he was kind of irritated that this person had stopped him. He said, saved from what? What are you saved from? thought about that? Narcy Sproul, after the, the, the young man was a little flabbergasted, he, 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 R.C. Sproul shared with him that you are saved from God, from the judgment that you deserve because of your sin, because of your unholiness. But the beauty of the gospel is that you are saved from God, for God, by God. R.C. Sproul says this, the glory of the gospel is that the one from whom you need to be saved is the very one who saves us. This is the good news, but there's a warning here. There's a grave word here. But church, friends, this text is not meant to be read with this somberness. There is definitely an urgency and a warning, but hear this. If you believe in Jesus, if you've received his better word, there's a positive, wonderful, sure, incredible truth to you for you this morning. A certain word, a sure word. Here it is. If you receive Christ, you cannot be shaken. If you receive Christ, you cannot be shaken. Let me say that again. If you receive Christ, you cannot be shaken. You are of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is why he says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Maybe you're asking yourself, what does this certainty look like? What does this sureness look like? I want to tell you a little bit about one of the saints in our church history, a man named Polycarp. You've heard of this man. He lived probably a little bit after the writing of Hebrews perhaps even got to read and hear this for himself in the next generation. Some believe that maybe he was a disciple of the Apostle John, maybe even had some interactions with Paul. He was a bishop in the church. And if we, as we think about church history, we know after this letter was written that persecution and suffering started to amp up. And at the time, Polycarp, who was a leader in the church, was brought to trial for his faith in Jesus. And, the, and Rome was killing Christians for declaring their faith in Christ and refusing to give their allegiance to Caesar. And in the story, the legend of Polycarp is that he was put on trial 
And at the time, what, what, what Christians were called to do was they were actually called to, to make a statement to say, throw out the atheist. And, the, and Rome believed that Christians were atheists because they didn't believe in the pagan gods. And so Polycarp, who held fast to this confession, who believed in this certain word, who believed that his kingdom that he was a part of could not be shaken when he was asked this question in a coliseum with death on the doorway, on the doorstep. When he was asked this question, he looked out. And instead of turning to the Christians that were there to say out with the atheist, he turned to the group, the mob of pagans, and he declared, away with the atheists. And the leader at the time of the proconsul, he pushed in deeper, knowing that Polycarp was in his 80s. He was older. He did not want to see him die this way. He was a good man. He said, you must reject Christ. You must condemn him and put your faith in Caesar. Look at what Polycarp said here. Listen to what Polycarp said here. He said this. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That is a man that knew he was a part of a kingdom that could not be shaken. Amen. And the story, the legend goes on to say in the readings of the martyrs that the beasts were not available, so they tied him to a stake to burn him at the stake. And they were going to shackle him, and he declared, I don't need to be shackled, I will stand here. And as the fire was burning, you could hear him praying for the people that were burning him, singing. And yet, that consuming fire did not consume him, the legend says. The fire did not hurt him. And they had to pierce him with a spear to kill him. And I know that that's a really morbid story, I'm sorry, but it's also part of our history. I think about those words. I think about that truth when I think about that last phrase, for our God is a consuming fire. There's other themes in Scripture of a refining fire. This There was a historian that wrote about Polycarp. I wanted to read with you his words as we think about what it means to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. He said this, Now the blessed Polycarp was martyred. He was apprehended by Herod when Philip of Trellis was the high priest in the proconsulship of Stasius Quadratus. Hear this. But in the reign of eternal King Jesus Christ... To whom be glory, honor, greatness, and eternal, thro- and eternal throne, from whom generation to generation, amen. In other words, but all of this meanwhile, whilst Christ was reigning, who was reigning? Jesus, King Jesus. 
even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of anxiousness, even in the midst, God's church continues to proclaim that King Jesus reigns in our kingdom. And he rules. And we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Perhaps, my friend, this year you have felt like things have been a little shaky. Perhaps you have been concerned about a pandemic, about a virus. Yet, while Christ is king, the church continues to love and care for the community. Perhaps you've been concerned about restrictions on worship gathering, yet... While Christ is still king, his people will continue to gather and assemble and worship his name. Perhaps you've been concerned about division in our country, about literally half of the country thinking one thing and the other half thinking the other and realizing this is not great. Yet, Christ's church is united in him completely and totally. Perhaps you've been wondering about the news and you've been concerned about how it seems that truth is so hard to find. It seems I don't know who to trust or which way to go or who to listen to, yet the church has the authoritative, wonderful word of God that speaks into all generations at all times that we look to and that guides and directs and leads us in all times. Is that not a wonderful word for us this morning? You see, church, we are of a kingdom that is eternal, that cannot be shaken. So how then shall we live in light of this? How then shall you live in light of this? I have two people I would like to speak to this morning. First, to the Christian. To the brother or sister who has said, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, who has confessed their faith in him, who has believed in their heart. It seems to me that the author of Hebrews wants you to be encouraged and strengthened in this way. He writes this, look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful. Church, how do we respond? Be grateful. Don't wait for Thanksgiving to be thankful. Be grateful. Be thankful. Start thinking about the incredible blessings of our Father, uh, that gratefulness. Start experience heaven on earth through his presence in you. You have that. No matter what may be happening in your life, no matter what may be shaking around you, my marriage, my work, my own thought life, you have the very presence of God that cannot be shaken when everything else is shaken. The economy can't, doesn't matter. Our king is here. Be grateful. Smile. Pray, restore to me the Lord of my Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So church, be grateful. Why be grateful? Hear this. You are at the party. You're here. This you have come to Mount Zion is an already not yet reality. You are at the party. But don't just be grateful. Let's keep reading. It says here, be grateful for a receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. 
Church, be active. Because you play a part in the party. We weren't meant to sit on the wall and watch everything happen. We were meant to play a part in the party. We are meant to be instruments of God's kingdom, proclaimers of his truth, inviters to those that aren't at the party. It's interesting, the Greek here for worship, I'm sorry, the, the Greek here for, yeah, for offering to God, acceptable worship, is a Greek word that can also be said to mean serve. It's about, when we think about our best response out of gratefulness to God, it's service. It's following in his ways, not because we have to, not even because we're supposed to, because that's who we are and that's what we do and that's what our king has done for us. Do we get this? To the grateful Christian, you are, be grateful because you're at the party, be active because you play a part in the party. There's a passage in Romans chapter 12 that gets after this idea, when we think about acceptable worship, oftentimes we wrongfully think this is talking about just singing songs. We are so missing it. Please don't think that worship is just singing songs. It is singing songs if they're coming from your heart. But worship is way more than just singing songs. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord Worship is giving worth to what God is, what he's done for you, and who he is, the holy, consuming fire God. If you don't believe me, just read this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, there's that holy word, and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is our response. It's living sacrifices. It's saying, I am following what Christ has done for me by loving and serving others. This is what the church does at all times and all places. This is who we are at our best So be active, be grateful, be active, but also church, hear this, be holy. In your sermon notes, there's a reference to 1 Peter. We don't have time to read that this morning. I wish we could because it's so juicy, so homework for you. Would you go home and read that and just squeeze the juice out of 1 Peter into your soul? But in that passage, the author of Hebrews says, Be holy as I am holy. God's speaking to you. You see, there's a part that I want you to understand. We must be holy because we are a part of the wedding party. We're a part of the party. Think about a wedding. We are dressed up in the righteousness of God. We represent him. And so for some of us, as we think about that and we think about our lives, there may be some repenting and some turning that we need to do from the things that do not represent our Jesus. 
we must be holy because he is holy. I remember this week, my son Nolan, he's been writing and, and, and uh, reading so much right now. And so he was writing about um, a little essay. And he asked me, Dad, what is a good word for someone who, like, always does the right things and always wants to follow everything and, and wants to do everything? And I told him, I said, Nolan, well, the word for that is legalistic. Which is when you think, oh, all the law, all the rules, I got to follow everything. And let me hear, I, I gave him the wrong word. As a Christian, what I should have said was the word, the better word than legalistic, that's the Mount Sinai word. The Mount Zion word is holy. The Mount Zion word is holy, set apart, a natural way of following the ways of God. So we pray that the Lord would continue to change us into this holiness together. And as you think about that, I would just encourage you, church, this month, these days, be grateful, be active, be holy. But also, I also want to say a word of invitation to the lost. Say a word of invitation to those that may think, I have been shaken My word to you would be simple. Receive Christ. Receive Christ. The better word is Christ himself. The son of God. Who knew no sin, who became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. This is the word that is crying out to you this morning. This is the word that we receive. We receive because it's a gift that's freely given. It tells us in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, shaken. But the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you have felt that everything around me is shaken, if you have felt that I have never put my faith, received this gift, would you right now in this moment as we pray together, would you just pray that you would receive this, that you would be strengthened by this, these truths, that this would be the better word that you live by for all the days of your life. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the better word. That we don't have to wor worry about living by any other phrases, any other special cute sayings. God, we love those, but most importantly, we love your word. We love your word that for God so loved the world, for God so loved me and my friends here, that anyone who believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life, be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So I just pray, Lord, that anybody here that is watching online or here in the sanctuary or listening on their radios, God, I pray that they would pray this with me. Not because these words are magical, but because these words represent faith. That they would put their faith and they would pray this prayer, Jesus, I cannot handle you, Father God, by myself. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short. And I believe that you have saved me. I believe that your work on the cross 
has redeemed and reconciled and adopted me. I believe in you. I receive your gift of salvation and I declare from this point forward that you are my Lord, that you are my King, and I promise to follow you. Would you help me? Would you guide me as my shepherd? And I would just encourage you, if you prayed that, would you, after the service, come forward and talk to me or shoot me an email or reach out. We would love to continue this conversation and to walk with you because that means you're now a part of this family, the family of God. And as we respond together to the Christian, I would just say, be strengthened. And right now in this moment, would you just take a moment to receive this better word? Would you take a moment just to breathe deeply of a holy God who has saved you? Who is speaking to you right now and telling you, I love you. I love you. Jesus, we love you. We give this time to you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for being our better word. We pray this together in your name. Amen.